Hey friends, can't wait till Wednesdays to get your Modern Mamas fix. Join us on Patreon. You can choose your tier and when you subscribe, you'll get bonus content, early access to retreat, first peeks at new swag, plus shout outs and even real time monthly virtual hangs with us. Visit patreon.com forward slash modern mamas podcast to check it out and support the podcast. It truly means the world to us. We are so grateful for you and for this community. I love mama. Welcome to the Modern Mamas Podcast. We're two modern mamas with the goal to inspire, empowerment, self-love, deep physical and spiritual nourishment, holistic health, and joy, no matter your journey, gender, or perspective. I'm Laura of Radical Roots. I'm a certified CrossFit trainer, certified nutrition consultant, and mama to Evie Wilder. And I'm Jess of Hold the Space Wellness. I'm a level one CrossFit trainer, a licensed and certified athletic trainer with a master's in kinesiology and mama to Baron Camille. Please note that while we're here to provide advice and insights, we aren't medical practitioners and always recommend that you check with a trusted provider before implementing any changes. Thanks for joining us. We're so happy you're here. Hey, y'all. Welcome back. I don't know where the y'all came from, but I think it's because I'm talking to (laughs) talking to two sisters who live in Nashville. And and it's just, you know, it's getting me back to my roots. But hey, (laughs) y'all. Hey, y'all. Hey, we like y'all. We like (laughs) y'all. Good company. Yeah. So we are I'm chatting with Kathy and Sarah today. I'm going to give you guys a little bit more information about who they are and what we're going to chat about. But we are doing a guest episode and Kathy and Sarah, you guys don't know this, but we have been doing a lot less guest episodes. And so really just trying to be intentional with who we bring in on the stories we share, trying to make them empowering and educational, and which y'all's story is just going to be an incredible one. And I'm just so glad that you're on today. Welcome. Thank you. Thank Thank you you so much for having us. We are really excited to share our story and and sit down with you today. I know. We love you guys. We've been following along with y'all. So y'all are our inspiration. We just started our own podcast too. So we're learning from you guys and we're honored to be on yours. (laughs) Well, this is going to be incredible. It's like a podcast, like mashup or something inception (laughs) here. (laughs) And I'm sure we're going to talk about your podcast. We're going to talk about everything that led up to it. But before we kind of dive in, I want to introduce y'all and then we'll kind of chat about our topic here today, which is one that we've never had on before or never really dove into. So welcome Sarah and Kathy. Sarah and Kathy are twin sisters living in Nashville, Tennessee. They recently started their podcast, Talk to Me Sister, to document their surrogacy journey. Sarah's cancer journey left her unable to carry more children, but with lots of prayer, waiting, and diligence, surrogacy became an exciting option. And Kathy is currently 29 weeks with Sarah's baby boy. That's so exciting. I cannot wait to hear more. (laughs) Are you still 29 weeks or are you further along since that bio? I'm further along since, yeah, since I wrote that little bio, I'm 33 weeks this week. Oh my gosh. Any day now, honestly. Yeah, it feels like that. Yeah. And you guys are both working moms, women's health advocates, lovers of the beach and margaritas. Me too. I think we're kindred Mm -hmm. souls here. (laughs) Kathy is also a registered dietitian. And on their podcast, they discuss a variety of topics such as nutrition, fertility, IVF, self-care, wellness, and more. Wow. Y'all got, I mean, not a lot going on over there, right? Just like pretty relaxed. Yeah, we're not busy at all. We're not busy at all. We're just trying to welcome a new baby in like a couple weeks. We put everything into our to-do list. It's good. We're good. We're relaxed. <laughs> we actually are. We're having such a fun time doing this. I was going to say, there's some truth to the. There's some truth in there. We are. We're doing good. That's yeah. amazing. I mean, being able to find, I mean, I think there's peace it that comes along even when things are kind of there's a lot going on there's peace that comes when knowing that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing or doing the right thing or on your path and whether that's with the surrogacy or with the podcast and all the wonderful things that you y'all have going on I feel like it's still possible to find that like peace and relaxation through all the the things right exactly Sarah and I have talked about this with other people but I feel like the podcast and all the other things, like people telling, asking our story, if it's helped us be intentional during this time of me being her carrier 
and we get together every single week and we just kind of soak up all the crazy things that are going on. Mm -hmm. So it's really been a sweet time. It's busy, but it's been a really sweet time of reflection. And it hasn't really felt like work. Like what you just said, it's like been following the path and like sewing into other people's lives. And it's been, it's been a really fruitful season. So it hasn't felt like work. It's been, it's really been really rewarding. So. I mean, amen to that. I, I love it's like that flow. It's like a season of life that just feels like a flow. But we're mm-hmm. on here to talk about <laughs> a lot of things that probably haven't always necessarily felt like a season of life and flow. We're going to be chatting about Sarah's cancer journey with choriocarcinoma. Am I saying that correctly? That's right. Okay. Choriocarcinoma, which you, I'm sure y'all will educate us a little bit more in depth on. We're going to be talking about y'all's surrogacy story. IVF in the I mean we're in a year of COVID. I mean all the things related to IVF, you know, y'all's journey in doing this pregnancy and birth together, motherhood, I mean all of it. So we've got a jam-packed hour going. I we mean do. <laughs> we will do our best to keep it short. <laughs> I mean We'll do what we can. We'll do what we can. You can edit some stuff out. We talk a lot. We'll try. Well, I talk a lot too. That's why I have a podcast. And I assume that's probably why y'all have a podcast too. Just so much to say. (laughs) So much to say. It's a little time. (laughs) All right. Well, let's dive in. Let's kind of like take it way back because I think one of the most... So I I read y'all's story on Love What... It's lovewhatmatters.com, correct? Is that the, the website? Yes. And it was just... Sarah, I believe you wrote that whole story down and shared it. Is that correct? Yeah. And it was like reading like a diary entry slash like a a movie script. Like parts of it, I was like, I can't believe this is real. And I'm like crying. And I'm like, the the things that y'all have been through, you know, separately and together, it's just really, really amazing. But I think one of the most interesting things about this story, it would be interesting regardless But one of the most unique things about it is that y'all are twins. And I think that that twin bond just in and of itself is always so special and so unique. And I want to kind of like, tell us about you two, y'all's bond, being a twin and how that kind of has evolved over time to bring you right here in this moment in time where Kathy is now a surrogate for you, Sarah. Like, tell us about it. Whoever wants to kind of take the lead on that, feel free to jump in. It's so wild. Kathy, you got I'll it. do it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I also want to, yes, that, that piece that Sarah wrote, Sarah's a really good writer and putting you exactly where she is. And it helps, I think, people relate to the story. So that's so sweet. Yeah. So, yeah, this is Kathy. I'll, I'll cover this one. We, you know, we've always been really close family. We have two other sisters and we've always just been really tight in general as a family. But when Sarah, we went through a lot at our young years, kind of those young formative years, when Sarah and I, my oldest sister, when we were young, Sarah and I were close to three and a half, four, we lost our father to leukemia. So cancer started in our life as a kind of formative thing very early on. We lived with my grandparents and of course, you know, went through the grief of losing our father very young, early. And that, I mean, that binds you. You don't go through this, something like that without completely changing the way your whole life looks. But we really relied on each other. You know, we, my mom used to say, I knew God gave you guys each other for a reason because we have no twins in the family. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and this was in the late 80s. <laughs> so, like, there's not as many twins. Yeah. Nobody was having twins like they are now. So, it was just a, the crazy thing that she had twins and she, she always was like, I knew you guys needed each other because she couldn't do it. She had lost her husband and went back um, to work. She yeah. was a single mom. And she remarried when we yeah. were seven. seven. We moved to Nashville. And, you know, it was just kind of, we needed each other in those formative years. She remarried to a wonderful man and we just kind of all needed each other. So our bond was really close from the beginning, but we had a pretty normal sisterhood growing up. You know, we argued about clothes and, you know, (laughs) you know, that kind of thing. And you know, really, we, we We shared a room till we were in school. High school. We shared a cell phone in a car until college. I would say we were very, our mom, like she, she did a good job at like, lifting up our differences, but we Mm -hmm. definitely were thrown into that like twin Mm -hmm. scenario, like in the home life. Like we shared a room, Mm -hmm. we shared a phone when it, 
phones came out. Yeah. We shared a car. I mean, it was just like a given that we would share things, but we were close. And I feel like, you know, I wanted to be my own person growing up. But at the same time, I was like very much dependent on Kathy. (laughs) I had done life with her and we were like playmates, but also like our biggest supporters. And I feel like even now that's, that's still the same. Yeah. We rely on each other for everything. And then really we grew very close when we both entered into the season of motherhood Mm -hmm. where we were doing similar life things together. And you know, it's, we've just been there for each other. And so it brings us full circle to where we are here when Sarah and we'll backtrack, I'm sure. But when Sarah was going through her cancer journey and this started coming up, it was kind of no question for me. We've just done things together. Yeah. We have have other sisters too, but I think you can't deny like that, just like innate twin bond. I think that there's something just elevated and special and you know, you start interacting in the womb at 14 weeks and it's just crazy and wild and special. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's always there. Like we're close to our other sisters, but like we can't read each other's minds, but we definitely are in tune to each other's emotions and, you know, close Business, so. Well, I can imagine too. That's I, I mean, you know, that's like the typical question you get. Like, can you can you read each other's thoughts? Like, can you feel her pain? And I I feel like you know I I'm curious. You know, as Sarah, you were going through like your diagnosis, and I'm kind of jumping ahead of here a little bit. But like, Kathy, yeah. was that also hard for you as well? Like, would, were y'all locally to each other when all of this was was happening? Yes, yes. Thank goodness. Mm-hmm. You know, again, it's like the universe was aligning. I put my house on the market. I, I lived just like 45 minutes from Sarah. We kind of lived in the country and we just felt like for some reason we needed to move closer into town and be closer to family. And we put our house in the market in June and Sarah was diagnosed in July and we were already in the process of moving closer into town. So we, but we were all local and yeah, you know, it's it's crazy. You know, we don't feel each other's pain, but we are so connected that it's more of an emotional, like, you know, when she was diagnosed, it was like my body felt yeah, it. Mm-hmm. I, the day, a day after she was diagnosed, my face broke out in the shingles. Actually, was it the shingles? I don't know. It lasted for over a year. It lasted forever. They couldn't diagnose it. They say keep saying it's the shingles, but anyway, it's better. Dermatologist, yeah. Kathy, (laughs) Kathy was. It was an emotional response, though. Manifesting your like and grief and like fear was coming out in that Mm -hmm. way. Yeah, that was interesting to watch, but. Right, it was like my emotions couldn't handle it, so my physical body took over, and you know, it's those. Those are small examples of just over the year that she was going through all of this. It was, yeah, it was a lie. It was like my lungs didn't work like they normally did. You oh know, my goodness, that is so wild. But also, yeah. gosh, just a testimony to like the the human connection in a bond like that. That is just. But and you know, it, it makes you think. It's like. And we'll talk about motherhood and stuff like the connection to your child. It's almost it's similar, right? Like when your child's sick, you're like, oh, my gosh, you're like you want to help them. You want to do anything to make them feel better. And I imagine it's it's a very similar feeling when you're that close, you know, that's a great analogy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. well, so so let's let's start getting into it. So, Sarah, what was because you had a, a little a little girl. Yes, yeah, so Charlotte. So what was motherhood like for you? Because, you know, a lot of our listeners, they're not all mamas, but a lot of them are mamas or are in, interested in, you know, the path of motherhood. And I think sometimes it just feels really, it's very interesting just to hear other people's motherhood experiences. And so I wanted to ask y'all both about y'all. So Sarah, what was your motherhood experience like for you in that early period with Charlotte kind of before the diagnosis? Yeah, well, I mean, she was my first. And so I think there was just a lot of excitement and sweetness there. I didn't really know what to expect. I was in a season of my life where I was in a corporate career and my professional life was number one. So I was like scrambling to get ready for my first baby. And I don't think anyone can prepare you for your first. I didn't really know what to expect. Obviously, I fell in love 
the moment I saw her face. I mean, I think any mom listening could understand that. But, you know, I would love to say it was perfect and awesome and sweet those first couple of months. But really, I had I had a really tough time in the hospital. I When she was born, I spiked 104 fever. That lasted a couple of days. So they didn't really know what was wrong. They pumped me. They pumped me full of so much fluid that it put pressure in my heart and I had to be in the ICU for like two more days. So, I mean, that has nothing to do with the cancer diagnosis, but we don't think. Well, we don't. Yeah. (laughs) Kathy's like, we don't think. (laughs) You never know how it's all interconnected, right? I I know. But yeah, so I think that I, it was so sweet and I was just so madly in love with my little girl, but physically and I think emotionally and postpartum and everything, I had a pretty tough time. It wasn't what I expected. But, you know, after a couple months of just kind of getting in the routine, once my hormones were balanced out, you know, I took leave off of work and was able to just be present. And once I kind of was on the up and up health wise, I started to feel really good. And that first year of motherhood was just, it was sweet because, and that's what I remember now, like now looking back being now she's almost four, like it was a sweet time, but it was not all what I expected. I was, you know, I, I went back to work at six weeks, which I do not recommend. I don't know what I was thinking. And I just was trying to juggle, like figuring out like work-life balance and how to be present for my child, but also keep up like that old life, you know? And so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like I had a, a similar experience as well. And it's funny that you say it wasn't what you expected, but like, I think it's, that's true for better or for worse in a lot of cases. Like there's really no way to fully wrap your mind around first time motherhood, regardless of like all, if you were the most experienced child caregiver in the world, it's still completely different when it's like your own kiddo right. and yeah, going back to work at six weeks, that that's a lot, I'm sure. I feel like we, we all learn so much during that first pregnancy, right? Like, you know, I, I would probably, I can't wait for John Ryder to get here because, you know, I mean, I think my perspective has also changed. We'll talk about that in a second, but I'm excited to be a little bit more present and, you know, do things differently that maybe I learned not to do the first time around. But yeah, I actually, I eventually decided to quit my job when Charlotte was, I think she was, how old was she, Kathy? Seven months? Yes. Yeah. Because I went back to work and I was spread so thin and I just couldn't figure out how to balance my hormones and deal with postpartum. And I just felt like, I honestly felt depleted, not in a way that like, oh, I'm tired, like how new moms are tired. It was like, it was, I couldn't. I, it was like, I felt like I was going to die. I just felt like I needed, I was grasping for a change and like a, some oxygen. And so I had this moment where I was like, you know, something is going to, something is going to sacrifice. And it was my life and my own self. And I felt like I was putting myself on the back burner and I hadn't really in my life so far had understood self care or, you know, balance. and. I felt like at some point, you know, taking a step away from my job was what I needed just to be more present and ho- at home and kind of navigate this, these like new mom waters. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad I did that. I mean, I think that subconsciously your intuition kind of like you're that little voice inside of you speaks up, but I had no idea like two months later, I'd be walking into a cancer diagnosis. Hi friends, Laura here with a quick break to tell you a little bit about one of our absolute favorite products and companies. Our friends at Paleo Valley are on a mission to help people reclaim vibrant health, providing products that prioritize nutrient density in an industry that prioritizes everything else. They believe that every dietary choice and every added ingredient is a powerful opportunity to love and care for ourselves. And we couldn't agree more. I love the Organ Complex and C-Serum for everyday holistic health support. And the beef and turkey sticks are our favorite travel essentials when we're out in the van. And right now we are digging the super greens. They're organic, they're non-GMO, and they contain the actual ingredients that you can use that aren't going to cause inflammation. And right now you can get 15% off of your Paleo Valley order with the code MODERNMAMAS. Check it out. That kind of leads us to this next like natural segue because... So you said two months later, after you left your job, you're saying you walked into this 
cancer diagnosis. So can you tell us kind of as much or as little as you want to share about that time period when you got diagnosed? If you can kind of, for for the us lay people out here, explain a little bit more about choriocarcinoma, because I've actually never heard of it before. And kind of what that process of finding out, you know, treating and going into re- remission eventually like looks like for you. Okay. Well, it's, it's, Gosh, it's so jam-packed with detail, but I'm going to try to keep it short. But really and truly, I quit my job. I actually started feeling really great because I was working out and like caring for myself and spending time with my family. But then I, my periods have really never regulated after Charlotte was born. So I continued to have irregular periods. But starting in, I guess it was end of May, 1st of June, I had a period that just didn't go away. And I thought, oh, irregular periods, I'm, I'm used to that. But this, this period lasted over 30 days. And that's what eventually took me to the doctor. I remember having a conversation with Kathy and, you know, she's in women's health and like, we talk about everything. And I think that's why it's so important as women for us to talk to each other, even if we think things are normal. And she was like, have you taken a pregnancy test? And I was like, why would I take a pregnancy test? I'd never had miscarriages before. I didn't understand like the pregnancy hormone or anything, but I took a pregnancy test, even though I was having a period and it was positive. And I had this pit in my stomach and Kathy had had miscarriages before. So she was like, you probably had had a miscarriage. Don't, don't worry. I'm so sorry, but like go to the doctor, they'll figure it out. Well, I went to my OB's office and ever after several scans and ultrasounds, my blood work showed I was pregnant, like about six weeks pregnant, but there was no sac, no gestational sac, no sign of pregnancy whatsoever. So I wasn't alarmed at that point. I thought maybe just the miscarriage, like everything was, you know, had left my body and I just was having residual hormones, but I, they monitored me for about, or several weeks after that. And what alarmed them is my blood work, my pregnancy hormone kept rising significantly. So then they thought I had an ectopic pregnancy. I was rushed into an emergency DNC, which Kathy was right by my side. They told me I might have to have a hysterectomy because it's a complicated surgery and they had blood standing by. And at that point, there was nothing on my radar that said cancer. I had no idea that that was coming down the pipe, but I was freaked out at the thought of a hysterectomy at 30 years old. And then one week later, they had sent tissue to a pathologist and confirmed choriocarcinoma. So like you, I had not heard of it either. I feel extremely lucky because my oncologist has spent 10 years at MD Anderson and ended up in Nashville, had experience with this kind of cancer before. But choriocarcinoma is a cancer that develops in the uterus from residual placenta tissue. So tissue that forms from the placenta. And you can get choriocarcinoma from a molar pregnancy, a miscarriage, or a full-term like viable pregnancy. That's the rarest it comes. Most of the time with women diagnosed with choriocarcinoma, it's from a molar pregnancy or a miscarriage. But I was diagnosed with choriocarcinoma. I did seven months of treatment was pronounced cancer-free. And then my, let's see, we celebrated our birthday. It was exciting. I was cancer-free. I was ready to put it all behind me. And my first checkup back in 2019, after the Christmas break, they told me my cancer had come back and my tumor was larger than it was before. We get this question a lot, like how, how it was hearing a cancer diagnosis. I always say that it was harder to hear the return of cancer versus an initial diagnosis. I think because at that point in my life, my faith was sh- shook. My, you know, the doubt kind of got a little bit bigger. And Kathy and, always, Kathy and I always say like that year of 2019, that's kind of when everything kind of felt really dark. I had to do chemotherapy again, start over. Kathy shaved my head. I spent overnight stays in the hospital and then kind of wedged somewhere in between that year is where they performed the hysterectomy. So that will, Kathy will tell you her side of that story later, but 
that's kind of when that surrogacy seed was planted. But at the time I was just so ready to survive and be, I mean, I had a two-year-old, I was ready to be present. I was ready to survive. I was ready to, you know, be a mom. And, you know, that time in my life, I was, I had to put motherhood really on the back burner and I had to be the one to be taken care of, which is, you know, us moms, we, we want to like fix the boo-boos and put the band-aids on and be the hero. But that was really humbling for me because I needed so much care. I was lucky to have people in my life that could care for me and my daughter at the same time. But eventually in 2019 in April, I was pronounced cancer free and there's no better feeling like it in the world. And ever since I've been cancer free. Thank you, Jesus. But <laughs> oh my goodness. I mean, yeah, there's so, I feel like there's so much more I could tell you, but that's kind of the gist of it. It was, I breezed over like the long, hard years, but yeah. I feel really grateful now standing on the other side of it. I know you mentioned being grateful, but like, what is your viewpoint of life after having made it through something that, you know, you potentially could not have made it out of? Like, how does that change your perception of, of life moving forward? Yeah, I think I said this in the Love What Matters article, but being cancer-free and getting to start over, I think it's like, I've said this before, it's like being color for the first time. Everything is brighter. Everything is, you know, the important things. You look for happiness and where you didn't look for it before. I also... I, don't, I think about a lot of times like how, how I got through it, but hope is like the biggest thing that's greater than fear. And I feel like if we didn't have hope and I didn't have hope even still today, I don't know if I could have got through it. We have a really strong faith and kind of how, why we decided to do this podcast and be vocal about this journey, Kathy and I, because if we could offer a little bit of hope, just like other people offered me hope, that's, it makes it all worth it. And my, you know, other women out there, they remain anonymous and they're quiet and live quiet lives, but they were my survival stories and they kind of kept me going. So that's kind of why we decided to share. But I think to answer your question, you just live differently. I mother differently. I feel so excited for this new baby coming because I feel like I'm not only going to be more present, but I'm going to be like, I'm a better version of myself. So I get to sew into a little life and hopefully, you know, that impacts my children and people around me. So that is, that is an incredible story. And I know, I know there's so much more to it than what we're able to dive into in just this one episode, but thank you for sharing that. And uh, it just, it brings a lot of things into like perspective for, I'm sure other people listening as well. And it's not to say that like, you don't still hard, have hard days. I'm assuming like we all still have hard days where we're like, what in the world? <laughs> I, right. You still have hard days. Tell me you have hard days, Sarah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, so many hard days. I mean, I think we we're so like, we, Katie and I are so positive and we're like, we're giving a positive message, but yeah, there are days where like, fear still creeps back in. I feel paralyzed or I did things that I said things I shouldn't have said, or I really mothered terribly, or, you know, I'm, I'm not feeling grateful or present. Like I know I should, you know, I think we just have to give ourselves grace because we, we're not going to do it all right. Yeah. Every, every I'll say, time. I'll, this is Kathy. I'll chime in. Yeah. I think perspective changes so much in a good, in a really good way. Mm -hmm. And even going through like IVF and surrogacy and all the ups and downs, it's like waiting for good news, even though waiting is hard. The IVF process, I think the hardest part is the waiting and the unknowns, but that was so much easier than waiting for bad news. Mm -hmm. Like there were so many days that Sarah had her brain scanned and her lungs scanned and we were waiting to see if it had spread like those weight, those those weight. So it had, it really helped our IVF process. I think all of a sudden we were like, we can wait, we can wait all day long for good news. Like that's a good point. I haven't heard you say that out loud. It's like so much easier to wait for good news than it is for that. So I think it has (laughs) helped our perspective along the way. But one thing she didn't mention is the hard part of healing and recovery is the fear that it will continue, that it will come back because yeah. that was Sarah's experience of thinking it was gone and then going back and it, it 
still being there and it being worse and her treatment accelerating into intensity. And so there are hard days. I think anybody who has been through trauma and have that feeling that it will come again is always very scary. Thankfully, the risk of choriocarcinoma coming back at this point is is non-existent. Yeah. After a year, it goes down to, I think, like 2% or something. But but, yeah. The healing part, there's some difficulty there emotionally. I mean, any any man or woman that's experienced the cancer diagnosis treatment and come out the other side, like a lot of times you'll hear people say that that kind of like the aftermath is just as hard, just like the mental work you have to do. So I always say, thank you, God, for therapy. <laughs> yes. Thank you, God, for EMDR therapy. Thank you for community. Yeah. Supportive husband that gives me grace when I feel like I can't get out of bed, but need to call my therapist. But yeah, I mean, it's just, it's an ongoing healing process. And I think I had to realize that, that you don't just wake up and you're healed. It's okay to continue to heal and just a little bit every day, you're better and better. Oh, that is, that is powerful perspective. Thank you so much for sharing that. So Kathy, like, now let's touch touch in on your motherhood journey because this is kind of where your stories I mean obviously they've been intertwined your whole life but really like for the purpose of the podcast where they start to kind of come together but before we talk about the surrogacy and the IVF process tell us about what motherhood's been like for you was like for you up until this point and kind of like I guess give us your side of the whole process that Sarah just talked about okay yeah so I have loved motherhood. I have a four-year-old and a six-year-old and, you know, I've always been interested in, in women's health, but when I became a mom myself, you know, I started getting, of course, even more interested in birth and pregnancy and postpartum. And I kind of committed my private practice to that, but just in general, motherhood has always been something that I have found easy. I've really enjoyed. I loved the baby stage. I love the toddler stage. I love where we are now. So I loved pregnancy and postpartum, but my husband and I were pretty sure that we didn't want another human to take care of. (laughs) So I was like, Oh dang, I would love to do that again. You know, it was always surrogacy and being a gestational carrier was something that had a seed had been planted, I guess, you know, forever ago, because I was just in the women's health world. So, and you when you were pregnant with Sam, you called me and you were like, oh, I'm listening to this like incredible birth stories podcast. Like you were always interested in like pregnancy and birth. Always, always interested in pregnancy and birth. Loved it so much. And just was empowered by the whole process and really was working with clients on fertility. So I wasn't a total off, you know, a confusing topic in terms of surrogacy and gestational carriers, because I was working with some women who were going through that. So when Sarah was at risk of losing her uterus, you know, I, I I was like, Oh, don't worry. I'll, I'll carry your baby. You know, I just don't worry. It's fine. And it really like, I have no idea. First time. This was the first time. So it's before we knew she had cancer. We thought she had, you know, she was just going in for ectopic pregnancy and that, that, that the hysterectomy was a risk. And I don't know why that came out of my mouth. Mainly it was like me telling her I supported her, but I literally get into trouble often because I th- say things before the game <laughs> through <laughs> my personality type kind of, but I'm glad I did. You know, we, again, Sarah, that the whole year, pretty much next two years really was just focusing on getting well and getting healthy. So we really didn't talk about it again, but that we would bring it up every once in a while, especially when she did actually have to get a hysterectomy. My husband and I talked about it. And I said, Hey, I would love for Sarah and Richard to have hope. Even if it doesn't work out, even if it's not us, at least going into this procedure where she's losing her uterus, you know, we're, we're giving them that option. And we just kind of felt a crazy piece about it. So we mentioned it one more time and we really just sat on it and sat on it until we knew Sarah was feeling better. And I love being a mom and I love this whole process. So it just felt like it was meant to be. <laughs> so tell us now more about how, okay, so you'd mentioned it offhandedly initially. And then how did that conversation go when, when it was like, really no, like, let's, let's do this. What was that like? 
It was really sweet. I think it was, we were like standing in Sarah's kitchen and she's feeling the grief of losing her uterus. And, you know, I remember Sarah saying, I just, I'm, I want to give my husband a son and all these hopes and dreams all of a sudden are gone. And so I, I, you know, I said, I, I know we've joked about this in the past, but I'm serious. You know, if it works out, I, I would do it. Well, we were also in a crossroads with my oncologist, like, you know, it's either hysterectomy or more treatment or we try to save your uterus. I mean, you kind of were like, your health comes first. And mm-hmm. I want you to know that like, this is, this I'm is not, an option sure, like you. I'm not, yeah, you were, yeah. yeah I said, like, this I'm is an joking. option for you. I'm really not joking. I'm really serious. And I remember our mom was there and she teared up and she was like, oh, that would be crazy. But really at that point, all of us were just like, that seems so impossible. I was like, there's no possible way. And I will say too, Sarah had a partial hysterectomy. Yeah. So she had her uterus removed and still uterus. has her ovaries yes. and still has her ovaries. And so her, even her oncologist mentioned it to me when she was like still waking up from her procedure, you know, and she, her oncologist had mentioned it to us. Did she really? Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> People are like, you guys saw, <laughs> you know, that, that it was an option because Sarah still had her, you, her eggs. And of course she had been through very rigorous chemo. And so they were cautious with us saying, you know, we're not very sure how the chemo is going to affect your egg quality and all that, all of that. But it's always an option because you still have your eggs. And so my husband and I on the back end, were continuing to have conversations about, is this something that our entire family could do? Because I knew that I needed his support. I needed our kids to be on board. I needed my our parents to be on board. You know, and you started having those conversations with your family a year post, like my kids are free stage. Right. So we it just became year. really, we had a lot of little combos. They just became more and more serious as it became a reality. Wow. Okay. So then you were like, okay, let's do this. Like for real, for real. And mm-hmm. talk to us. I don't, we haven't had many guests on talking about the process of IVF. So whoever wants to kind of jump in, cause I know it's, you know, preparing the, the harvesting of the eggs and, you know, then the implantation and all that stuff. But what was that process like? And you mentioned it was IVF during COVID. So, at, you know, the height of everything. So I'm sure that was also a little bit different maybe than the average experience. So like, talk to us about that process, the IVF process and kind of moving forward. Yeah. So we actually like our, our conversation where we were like, let's do this. The four of us, so Sarah and her husband and me and my husband all went out to brunch and pretty much said, okay, let's take steps forward. Let's knock on doors and see if they open because the process to become a gestational carrier is technically what I am. The process to become, we use the word surrogate, but the process to become a surrogate or gestational carrier is very arduous. So we thought, let's just knock on doors and see if they open. So we just started walking through the steps and really because of the IVF year, Things were delayed, but really, like I said, we were ready to wait for the right timing because we had been through so much. We thought if we're supposed to sit here and wait a couple months for an appointment, then we'll wait. It gives us more time for Sarah's body to heal, more time for us to make sure this is the right thing for our family. So really the the biggest adjustment from the COVID year of IVF was that we had some delayed appointments and also that. I had to go to some appointments alone mm-hmm. as the carrier without Sarah and that her husband didn't come to any of them. Even yeah. the transfer, they had to take turns being back there with me. Yeah. And really like to jump backwards before even Kathy was involved. Like, so it's interesting when you think about the IVF process, like it's your egg retrieval first and then you create embryos and then you freeze those embryos and then you get a surrogate involved. So me and my husband, while we were having conversations with Kathy and her husband, we were retrieving my eggs and, you know, against all odds, got three viable embryos that passed PGT testing, which is genetic testing, which really with what my body had been through is kind of short of a miracle. But it's funny, we talk about IVF a lot and it's like, it's really actually simplified with the surrogate because, you know, I did the first part of IVF and Kathy did the last part of IVF. So we all, we all, we said throughout the process, we're like, 
I feel like we're also emotionally supporting each other. It's like we're two women who are doing IVF together versus like do IVF alone. And it's so hard and lonely at times. We're like, we at least can like do this together. (laughs) Even pregnancy together has been real nice. Yeah. We're like, this is maybe more women should like get on this board because (laughs) like, you feel like you have an extra, like some estrogen, like encouraging you that like, you know, like the women, we just like get it, you know? So, but yes, I did the first part of IVF. We froze our eggs and then we kind of, that was COVID and we waited for Kathy to go through like her prerequisites and, you know, get, go to the psychological testing. Uh-huh. So we didn't, we didn't want to start my screening process. This is Kathy until we knew Sarah had viable embryos. So once we heard that, that was June of 2020. Right. June of 2020. So in August of 2020, I started my screening process, which is pretty intensive. It's a physical screening. Um, My first appointment was like four hours. They look at my uterus and make sure I'm a good candidate. They, you know, do blood work. So we did that. That was, I I passed that. And then we did psychological screening and we all had to do counseling. Yeah. Therapy. People would ask me, do you get to like kind of cut the corners with the surrogacy contract and the surrogacy process because Kathy's your sister and believe it or not, no, <laughs> legally, legally, we had to follow all the guidelines. Like even right now, we just did our last legal contract, which gives us birthrights and we make a hospital plan and mm-hmm. all of that. So it's been very structured, but I've liked it that it's been structured because it's kind of navigated we've never done it before. So it's been a nice Mm -hmm. process. Yeah. The hospital wanted us to go through all the steps. So we did that August, September, October. It took us some time to get through the physical, psychological, legal. And then once we got through the legal process, we could start preparing my body for IVF. Thankfully, the, we decided and our doctors were supportive of doing like a natural IVF cycle. How does that differ? Like, can you kind of maybe like, reiterate the difference like between a natural and maybe like a non-natural cycle yes absolutely and the word natural i don't love because it's like people i don't want people to think they've done through traditional ivf mainly it just means we're waiting for my body to naturally ovulate to do their transfer and with traditional ivf you are kind of programming your body to ovulate so that you know exactly when to do the embryo transfer and it does require much more medications, much more hormones. And with Sarah and I, especially with kind of cancer as a, you know, medical history, Mm -hmm. we just like to avoid extra hormones as much as possible. And so that was a, I was going to do it no matter what, (laughs) but it was a question we had. Yeah. We Uh, both did like a low estrogen medication. Right. So even with Sarah's egg retrieval, she did minimal hormones and Thankfully, it worked out. And so we did that too. So we had to do a little bit more waiting. I took kind of some oral stimulators like Letrozole to kind of get my eggs and everything. Like even though we weren't using it, they wanted my body to ovulate real strong. So I did a couple oral meds. I did one shot just to kind of trigger my body to ovulate the day we wanted it to. The Avidrol shot is people listening that have done IVF or will do IVF. It's like your one trigger shot. And I did it right before egg retrieval and Kathy did it right before transfer. So it kind of programs your body, but I did a lot less hormones than general, which is why they call it kind of a natural cycle. It's called the letrozole protocol. Well, and Teller also, you didn't do any shots after. Like usually right. you have to do what, 20 weeks of shots mm-hmm. after transfer. Yeah. I just did like some extra progesterone. Yeah. and 20 so- weeks of shots afterwards. Yeah. Which well, is wild. It's yes. actually only through the first trimester. And you also have to do it before. So it ends up being 20 weeks, about 20 weeks of shots. So I follow this IVF, you know, hashtag on Instagram and I'll see these women like hold up these like huge trash bags of syringes. And it's like, here we go. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh man, like wild. And so I was kind of thankful on Kathy's end. One, like her body is just, I guess, a rock star because it, you know, the pregnancy took like, with one transfer. So I feel really grateful and blessed, but to not have to do all those shots after was like yeah. me and you both. I was really oh. not looking forward to that. So thankfully oh, I had had good, I had had 
successful pregnancies. And so they were really on board with it. We did miss like their, our first cycle that we planned transfer. My, we, I started all of this fertility extra meds, just the oral meds and my body ovulated really quickly, really fast. So we did miss our first cycle and we had to really wait patiently for the next one. So that was the only downside of a nat- of a quote natural cycle is that you're waiting for your body to ovulate naturally. So there is again more waiting and more like, oh, we got to catch the right day. <laughs> we did it. So we did, we did transfer December seventh of 2020, mm-hmm. and Sarah and Richard kind of took turns being back there with me, and it was just a really special day. Sarah went back to the OR with me, and you know, yeah, got to. Wild the transfer of her embryo into my uterus and we all cried and mm-hmm. it just was an incredible full circle because we were at the same hospital that she had been treated oh my at. goodness Our, oh yeah same, same almost the same parking lot honestly we had had so much trauma and me specifically and us as a family mm-hmm. being in that hospital unit and so to be there you know full circle for this sweet moment was unreal so. yeah that was my question was it was it I was wondering, like, was there a lot of anxiety being back there? Or was it more like redemptive because you're like, oh my gosh, we've come so far. Or maybe it's a mixture of both. I'm sure there's lots of feelings involved. Yeah. You know, I didn't, on the day of transfer, I didn't have any like anxiety or anything. And that I feel that that was like a supernatural thing. I had already dealt like, you know, with the whole IVF process, I'd already kind of worked through a lot of those emotions. And, you know, obviously we'll, we'll talk about the pregnancy in a second, but yeah, it was just a really sweet day. It was, it was very, it didn't feel like a hospital felt to me, you know, during my cancer stay, it felt really sweet and really special. The embryologist was incredible. And I got to see her walk the embryo in the catheter over to the doctor and it just, it felt really special. So yeah, incredible. That's amazing. Hey y'all, here to share about one of our new sponsors, Eaton Hemp. Eaton Hemp is a farmer-owned hemp portfolio company based out of upstate New York, where they were the first farm to put a hemp seed in the ground in over 80 years. They offer delicious and nutritious farm-to-table USDA certified organic hemp goodness. I personally love, love, love the salty super seeds. I put them on everything from my balance bowls to salad toppers, even on top of taco bowls, I find them to be delicious and they add a little salty, perfect crunch. And I love to top my smoothies because I've been packing a lot of protein into smoothies lately with their crunchy cinnamony maple ones. Oh my gosh, not only does it add a bite of crunch, but the flavor is out of this world. And not only are their hemp hearts and toasted hemp super seeds a flavorful addition to just about anything, but they are said to be nature's most nutrient-dense superfood loaded with nutrients, omegas, and antioxidants. To give them a try, head over to www.edenhemp.com forward slash modern mamas and use the code modern mamas for 20% off. You will love them. Promise. Well, okay. So now 33 weeks pregnant. Oh my gosh. I cannot believe it. (laughs) Yeah. So So what has the pregnancy been like? I mean, you've mentioned before, it's like, it's been really cool to just have each other like kind of side by side through that whole process. But I mean, honestly, tell us how it's been. If you if you feel comfortable, I mean, has there been any hard parts about it? Has there been? Is it just like pure joy twenty four seven? Like, what what has this been like? <laughs> um, this is Kathy. I will say there's been ups and downs for sure, but a majority of every day we're like on cloud nine that we can't believe that this is happening. I think that the hard parts have been things that we weren't able to really prepare for. You know, where we're we're thankfully we communicate really well. Mm -hmm. So especially in the beginning where you're not seeing my bump and Sarah's trying to figure out how to make her family feel like they're having a baby and I'm trying to navigate my kids, make sure they know it's not ours, (laughs) you know, like those things like that. But we really feel like it's been incredibly easy and incredibly smooth. And we, like I said, we communicate through all of our like, Hey, I'm feeling, feeling like an Amy may need a little bit more from you. I may need a little bit less from you, you know, things like that. Need some space. Um, I feel like as women, we're like in tune to each other's needs, which is like really, really nice. But I mean, 
to go off of what Kathy just said, it really has been so sweet and so special. We really have been on cloud nine. The only struggle I think, and we, we have some podcast episodes where we talk about like first and second trimester and we're about to release a third trimester and we get into detail of like kind of what we're feeling in, in each trimester. But the only like hard navigate, like waters we had to navigate were just like the initial unknowns in that first trimester. Like, you know, it's obviously a different kind of pregnancy for me as an intended parent. You know, I, I think I had to just at some point early on in that trimester, understand and accept that this is going to be a different pregnancy for me. It's not going to be like it was with Charlotte. It's going to be different. My circumstances are different than other people's and that's okay. And once I learned to accept that, I was able to like step into like the whole joy of it. You know, I had a moment where I had like my pity party and I was like, I'm not going to have to bump, blah, blah, blah. But then it's like, okay, Sarah, what? Like, incredible. Like, how much are you, can you be thankful for? Like, it's so, you know, to say that those moments didn't come would be a lie. Like that they absolutely did. But I talked to a woman recently who called me and she's also, you know, had some health issues in the past and she was asking me about surrogacy. And I said, you know, Yes, there's going to be a moment where you grieve your circumstance and you grieve the fact that you won't feel the quicks and you won't have the bump and you won't have that initial first bond. But I would encourage you to do like a helicopter view of your life as a mother because, you know, you on the other side get to hold that baby in your arms. You're the one that puts the baby to bed at night. You're the one that kisses the boo-boos and teaches the child and takes them to the first day of kindergarten and loves them and kisses them, you know? So it's in hindsight, yes, you, your circumstance is different, but I think I'm just grateful to be a mother. And I think that's a perspective that you have to have as an intimate parent going into it and experiencing surrogacy with another woman. I see you talked about how even with our other kids, I'm like, I don't even remember being pregnant. You know, you forget part you know even though those are really sweet yeah. special times you kind of forget that part and this is Kathy I will say just briefly it's been a really easy pregnancy thankfully on my end we yeah. were worried about that just as like my personal family I was like I don't want this to we take were away. worried about that for yeah for you guys <laughs> I don't want it to take away from my kids you know I know this will be a sacrifice on all ends mm-hmm. but it has been very easy it's been very low complicated I honestly like forget some days <laughs> that Except for that there's this big bump. And you look great. Sometimes you don't look great. No, I definitely do. But, you know, it's been, I think that has been a gracious thing that has happened is that it's been very low complication and it has been fun. You know, I would come over here to Sarah's house and she'd be like, oh, you look green and feed me food and show up at my house. Here's here's some crackers. Like, I remember those like nausea days. But also with Kathy's family, I'm not going to say this for her. Like what an incredible testimony and gift that you would give your children. Like we, we do a sweet episode on telling your kids about surrogacy. And I think it's just a, such a cool message to send to your children about like selflessness and sacrifice and being somebody. You've done that really well throughout this process. Like your kids, like they get it. Well, that was going to be my question because I know you mentioned, Kathy, your kiddos are four and seven? Four and six. Four and six. Okay. So my my two are around that that age. They're four and seven. And Mm -hmm. I'm thinking like if we sat them down and had that conversation, it would be pretty, you know, the concepts that they're and the nuance of like the human experience that you're trying to like (laughs) explain to them. I feel like it would probably get some blank stares and a lot of questions, but I mean, did the process for y'all start? And I'm sorry if this is just like TMI, but like, did it ever require like therapy or like talking to someone else about like, you know, any of those complicated emotions or has it been pretty straightforward? Just like y'all talking it through as a family, like day by day. I, all of it, actually, we talk about it, you know, we're pretty open with saying like, I, Sarah, I think that should be something you talk to somebody else about, because I'm also watching my own, I'm guarding my own heart and my own boundaries emotionally. So we're pretty good with going like, okay, one second, this is too much for me. (laughs) So with our kids specifically, like Kathy and I said, from the start, like, honesty is everything. Like, Mm -hmm. we're just going to lay it all on the table. 
We both really believe in talk therapy. Like we haven't taken either of our families to therapy. Maybe ask us in like a couple months if we need to. But no, I mean, I think we're just a really close family and we talk about the ins and outs of it. And there's like no boundaries that we won't discuss. Like, you know, if Sam's feeling a little, you know, curious about what it's going to be like during the hospital, you know, like we just lay it all out there and we want for the kids, we want them to have expectations of like the birth and the hospital and like the, the weeks that follow so that there's no guessing or, you know, emotions that don't feel heard and stuff like that. So I think it's been helpful to, they may have more questions once they really understand how the birds and the bees happen (laughs) for real. Because we told them exactly how that embryo got into my belly, you know, and we took eggs from Sarah and part of Richard and made a baby. And it was so small. Yeah, maybe they'll have more questions when they're like They may have some more questions later, like 12. But we just, as us, as like the surrogate and intended parent, we're required to do therapy. Yeah. you know, I think in the, in the kids topic is that kids are very like black and white. You know, we've had a lot more questions and unknowns and blank stares actually from adults. adults, like older adults. <laughs> kids are like, Oh, that sounds good. That's really good. You know? And my kids are very like, they know this baby comes home to Sarah's house and they're just very black and white about it, which I'm grateful for. Yeah. Hmm. Well, and I guess now, so do y'all have a plan I'm sure y'all have a plan for like the birthing process and that the transition, like after birth, like, is that something that's also discussed throughout the the surrogacy process? Like, okay, timing. And I mean, I'm sure it's a very complex once the the baby's actually here. Yes. And we talk about all that ahead of time and actually put it in a contract so that there is no, you know, guesses or weirdness or expectations that are not met at the hospital. So we're really glad that's all been worked out already. So we're excited about it. I mean, the anticipation of birthday is like, I I can't even handle it. But our goal is for all four of us to be in the birthing room, Mm -hmm. Sarah and Richard, of course, mom and dad. And then my husband, I would love for him to be in there. They're still only allowing two birthing partners in the room, which is fine. We knew that that would be a possibility that just Sarah or just Sarah and Richard would be in the birthing room. And Sarah's going to catch her son and cut the cord. Yeah. It's going to be really sweet. And then Richard <laughs> and I, and this is traditional with a lot of most surrogates, well, the intended parents will get skin to skin that first hour while the surrogates like you know, recovering and getting like tended to. And then Kathy will get her own rec- recovery suite and whatever she wants, whenever she wants, <laughs> <the> bell, whatever, <laughs> we'll get you Satco delivered. That's a Nashville place. And then we'll have our, us as the attendant parents with John Ryder, we'll have our own recovery room on the maternity floor. And Kathy is Kathy. I plan to pump. Sarah has not asked me to do that. I'm just going to do it for myself. I feel like it'll help my hormones and help me have a task when I go home and like have something to do rather than be like, okay, well that was cool. You know, and it burns calories. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like what we're like, our biggest question mark right now is like, how long is Kathy going to keep that up or wants to keep it up? Right. But I can see you doing it longer than. I, you know, I nursed mine for like a really long time, but that's a whole different experience. So I may need to like tap into your archives of your podcast, see if you have any yeah, or your body because a baby won't be around like yeah. your body, your body might naturally wean, but we are Sarah and Richard. We are stocking up on formula. I actually have Kathy's like really sweet friend, Jen, who's giving me some breast milk. And I'm like, I'm not discriminating against breast milk. Like give it to me. Yeah. 700 milliliters she has 700 ounces like I that called, she's about to bring yeah over. i called richard at work i was like we need a deep freezer go buy it like, <laughs> <laughs> gotta feed this babe that is such a phenomenal gift as well like holy moly yeah. that's that's liquid Oh, right Ama- yeah, that's amazing. Oh, my goodness. I, I'm just, you know, hearing your story, I'm sure, you know, in the telling of it in an hour, there's a lot that like, we don't get to deeply dive into. And it seems like there's so much joy. I can hear like the joy and the excitement in your voices. And the process, like, 
you know, sounds relatively smooth in terms of like IVF and surrogacy. I mean, I'm sure you've had your ups and downs as well, but it just seems like, yeah, we're grateful for that. Yeah. It just seems like I can really feel like the joy moving forward. And I hope that you guys are able to carry that through whatever's coming next, but it's just a phenomenal story. Is there, is there anything else that you all want to share with like listeners or maybe people that have been considering this process or have been through it. I mean, gosh, what, what else is there to share? Is there any last kind of like parting words that you want everyone to know? Yeah. I mean, I, I'll go first. You know, I think that what we've said along the way is that like, we just felt kind of this gut instinct to like push, push doors open, walk by faith, go kind of say, okay, let's just take the next steps and see what happens. And I think we often ignore these gut feelings that we have, mm-hmm. you know, cause we're afraid. And sometimes that's like a gut feeling is what took Sarah to the doctor and caught her cancer. A gut feeling is what made me talk to my husband about being a surrogate. So I think that mm-hmm. kind of listening to your instinct, listening to your gut is one son can be save your life one time, but one can just be helping you find what's next for you in this season of life and inspiring other people. So I think that's kind of one thing we've learned along the way is that if you have a piece about something, go for it. Go for it. That's really, I love that. And then my parting words, <laughs> parting words sound so like, duh, duh, duh. but I think I've thought about this a lot because I get this question a lot, but I think when my just encouragement, I guess, to listeners who are maybe dealing with something really hard or infertility or whatever it may be, when life takes like a really hard left and you find yourself in a path that you do not recognize, or maybe it's not what you thought for your life, I would just encourage that person to have hope and to not write things off and just to hold on and have hope because sometimes a new path can be just as sweet. And I think that that's something that I have understood in the last year. And even when life turns out differently, it doesn't mean that your life is over or can, or will be any less sweet. And I think that's for goes for, you know, that's my message to anyone, any woman dealing with cancer currently or infertility or anything. And hope for us meant options and hope hope for me meant options. And I think we are a story where, you know, there's options to growing your family and we're really grateful and thankful. So. Oh my goodness. Well, I'm sure there's so, so much more we could dive into, but I just want to say thank you so much both of y'all for coming on, sharing your story and just sharing. I mean, I honestly, like, I don't know if I could do what you guys have done for each other. I mean, I'm sure when a push comes to shove, if my sister asked me, I would, would do it, but you never know until you're actually in that position. Right. And I just like, it's just a really beautiful story of like, I mean, I would say love and, you know, sacrifice. I I can't, I still can't believe when I look at Kathy, I'm like, I can't believe she did this. (laughs) <laughs> well, it's an amazing gift. I think it's I just, so we're just, I'm pinching myself. Every oh, day. My goodness. Well, thank y'all so much for coming on. And, you know, I'm sure everyone's going to be, well, actually by the time this airs, baby might be here. Okay. Y'all said yeah. y'all, you might actually, my, my kiddo was born in August and I'm thinking y'all might have a, a due date around there based on when yeah. that. August 18th. So my, my kiddo was born the 19th. And so, cause oh, well, our, our conception date was around your implant date. So, yeah. so cool. very cool. <laughs> so y'all might, I can't remember when this one airs, but baby might be here, but where okay. can we find y'all if we want to hear more about the story and keep up to date and see how things are going? Yes, we are also, we're taking a little break from our podcast around the time the baby comes and then we'll pick back up a season two probably with yeah with kind of birth story and postpartum which we're excited to share our podcast is called talk to me sister Mm -hmm. and on apple and spotify yeah wherever wherever you listen we're also on instagram so you can find us on a talk with a two to me sister underscore podcast we just you know we're all over instagram updating our episodes let's see on the instagram 
there's obviously a link in our bio and it takes you to like articles that have been written about us. Kathy's personal page that links to her baby nutrition business, my personal Instagram and yeah, you can connect there probably. Yeah. Perfect. And Kathy, you're at babyandme.nutrition on Instagram, correct? Is that your personal business? Yes. Babyandme.nutrition and where I connect with people who want to talk more about fertility, pregnancy, postpartum nutrition, and kind of the baby stuff. First foods. I do some classes there too. So that's fun stuff. And then Sarah, you're at Sarah, Sarah with an H Ruth Sharp, correct? That's right. That's my personal. Okay. Okay. Follow me there personally, and there'll probably be some cute pictures of John Ryder. Come Uh, on. (laughs) Yeah. So fun. Oh my gosh. Well, thank y'all so much. And as always, listeners, if you are loving what we're putting out there, please rate us and write us a review. That just means everything to us. You can also find us on social media at Modern Mamas Podcast. Yes. Yes. I'm like, what? I haven't said this in a really long time. At Modern Mamas Podcast. Instagram and email us anytime with questions at Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks again, y'all. We had, this was yes. amazing and so glad to have you share your story. Thank you so much. We had such a good time. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. Bye, friends. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to our podcast. See you next time. Bye.